For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine, custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, part of the Believe Network. We're coming to you after the New England Revolution fell 1-0 in their home opener against Toronto FC to fall to zero wins, zero draws, and two losses to start the MLS season. Rough way for the Revs to start. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Hayden Bird of the Boston Globe. Hayden, how's it going? It's going, uh, personally, it's going well. I know for the Revs, it's not going so well, but I I am good. And thank you for having me on again. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back on. Thanks for thanks for joining us. And you know, we talked to uh, Caleb Porter after the game in the press conference, and it was kind of funny. I think you know, you and me and Seth from and Sam from the Blazing Musket were talking about the game, and Caleb Porter, I think, said a lot of the same things that we were saying and evaluating that game, which is kind of refreshing to hear. Um, you know, it's not refreshing to to lose two games to start the season, uh, but it is nice to have the coach kind of parrot the same things that we were thinking uh to to know that we're not crazy and that he's actually seeing the same thing on the field that we're seeing um so we'll we'll get into that but before we jump into our takeaways i want to talk about our sponsor bet online bet online continues to be your number one source for all of your basketball wagering needs including pro and college hoops throughout the year as well as soccer of course with ups to the minutes odds stats and trends you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or mobile devices head to bet online today and become part of the team remember to use promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v for your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online the game starts here all right, Hayden, let's get right into our key takeaways brought to you by our friends from the Rebellion Supporters Group. Be sure to check them out at Any Rebellion and their website, anyrebellion.org. Uh, Hayden, I talked a lot on the last few podcasts about how it was difficult to have takeaways because they were playing a pretty bad team in Independiente that they beat quite handily. And their other MLS game was a game against DC United in which they got a red card in the 25th minute. So I don't think you could take too much away from the first three games. Here, we finally saw the Revolution play a decent team and with 11 minutes for 11 men for 90 minutes. So I think you actually can take some things away from this one. Uh, what, what was your takeaway from this one? My takeaway just at a basic level, and this is going to be not the hottest of takes, but just like, you know, they're very much a work in progress. You see flashes of really good combination passing and really, um, uh, you know, good uh, possession and all these little things that, you know, if they could, uh, you know, string that together a little more, they would be a very good team, but they're clearly just not there yet. 
And the same is basically true, I would say, defensively, where they're very well organized and they're good at, you know, they seem to be much better at snuffing out counterattacks this year. We saw them do that very well against uh, in, in CONCACAF. Uh, but, you know, again, they just still lose focus every once in a while. I mean, the goal today was just um, a piece of sublime skill, but we could talk a little bit about um, the sort of build up to that and how that I had a little bit of an issue with in terms of uh, you know, some of the tactical approach. But yeah, just in general, they're they're very much a work in progress. But, you know, I guess that's kind of where you would expect them to be at this point in the season. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right about all that. And you can kind of and, and Caleb Porter did kind of chalk up the goal to this was just a fantastic shot. But there was more to it than that. And, you know, if you look at some of the other plays throughout the games and times where Toronto probably should have scored, there was that header from from Prince. I think, um, I think it was before the goal, uh, mm-hmm. in which he had was wide open, unmarked on a cross. Um, you know that that is not just bad luck and a really good shot. That was poor defending uh, to have the you know, the one striker on this team be unmarked in the box in that situation. Um, so you know it's 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 nice to chalk that up to a fantastic shot. It was a fantastic shot that wasn't from the most dangerous position where Insignia scored. Um, but yeah, the you know the mistakes in the build up to that, and there were some defensive mistakes throughout the game. Um, I was surprised by how far forward Andrew Farrell was for much of the first half in this game. You know, you talk about the right back situation. We know Brandon by is a phenomenal at getting forward. He adds a lot to the attack. Uh, we see him push up a lot and kind of build that width on the right-hand side of the field. It seems like they're trying to get Andrew Farrell to do the same thing that Brandon by does, but I, I don't know that that makes sense to me. I don't know that that's his game, especially at this point in his career. Um, I don't know that he adds all that much to the offense, and then you're getting him caught forward and, and leaving holes defensively. So um, tactically, it's, it's very much a work in progress, like you said, but I, that was one thing that stuck out to me that was causing them some problems was, was Farrell kind of getting caught forward on the counterattack and, and leaving holes there. And there were more than a few times where you know guys were kind of open on the left flank for Toronto because Farrell was pushed forward and there was a quick counter. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, I think, you know, and this was one of my takeaways um, in my post game Reddit for boss.com was that, uh, you know, just Toronto's setup, um, which I was really interested by because it was kind of tough to pin down exactly the specifics of it as someone who doesn't watch them week in and week out. Uh, but they just really outflanked the revolution. And a lot of that first half when it was, when both teams were going toe to toe and we can get it in the second half where the game changed a little bit and they were much more on the back foot, but in the first half, when they were just kind of going back and forth at different periods of time, the difference in the game uh, was that goal. And that goal was created on approach play that started first, you know, by getting the ball out wide to Bernadeschi on Toronto's right wing. And then he crosses it. The Revs get a little bit unlucky with the deflection, but then it bounces to um, Insigne on the left wing. And he is also, you know, basically unmarked, at least when he gets the ball and is allowed to compose himself, cut inside, and then make that beautiful chip to the back post. And so all of the buildup to that is just based on the fact that, you know, the the there were overloads on both flanks. Um, and you spoke to that in terms of Farrell being caught out of position. The same thing happened to Dewan Jones a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I know why they're trying to do that with Farrell, especially on the right, because you say, like, well, if you play Esmir out there and you play with Carlos as well, those are two players who are left-footed, they cut inside, and so you need someone to make that run into the space that they're vacating. So I get that, but you said, yeah, as you as you noted, though, like asking Andrew Farrell to do that at this point, um, really, as we've seen, asking anyone other than someone like Brandon By to do that uh, is is a tall order, and that, um, yeah, you know, that definitely cost them. Yeah, I don't think Nick Lima's been amazing at that either. Um, I think he probably did better than Farrell did today, but I don't think he's been, you know, a world beater at doing that same role either. 
Um, and of course, it's easier to do that against Independiente when you're on the front foot for the entire game than, than it is to do against Toronto when they actually have you know threat to, to score a goal. Um, so yeah, it, it very much work in progress. And I think they may need to reevaluate um, how they're at least approaching tactically, defensively, um, offensively to let themselves get you know, get exposed like that with, with Farrell pushing that far forward. And you know, I think Jones and Brandon Byer too amazing incredible you know athletes that can manage to get up and down the wings uh, quite quickly and add a lot to the attack and it's just when you don't have one of them out there you might have to reevaluate how things play out yeah and we see that i mean i think with like uh the the previous um you know regime in there with uh with bruce i mean that was a staple of it was both of those guys just bombing forward pretty relentlessly but you know you look at other places uh, and other teams around the world. And a lot of times, you know, they try to balance it with like one will go forward the left back, but the right back will be much more defensive and will maybe tuck into help with counterattacks. And, you know, I think maybe they might have to get to a place where they do that. But as I said, I mean, if you're going to play players like Esmir and Carlos, especially in the same starting 11, and especially with one of them nominally occupying the sort of right-sided attacking midfield role, if they're cutting inside, you need someone to fill in that space. We saw today, Actually, I, I actually thought it was kind of a creative solution was Chunkalai was making runs out wide from the central position, which is like, you know, that's kind of him using one of his better attributes, his speed and his, um, you know, ability to drift into wide spaces where he feels comfortable. But obviously that's not, you know, I, and we can get more into this, Like clearly that's not like the thing that they want to be doing every single game is having Chunkalai as the, as the, you know, the center forward. So yeah, they're going to need to to find an answer to that. And I'm not entirely sure in the current roster iteration that they're in with Brandon still out um, exactly what that is. Well, you gave me a nice second to my takeaway, which is that the revolution need to add another striker to this roster. Uh, it's, it's not, not a uh, you know, mind blowing revelation to anybody after this game, or really, I think even going into the season that the the depth there is not there as striker. And, Caleb Porter, after the match, was talking about how any team, if you're down to the third guy at a position, is going to be in trouble, is going to struggle, and wish they had somebody else there. I, you know, I, I think that's a little bit of an excuse uh, for where the Revolution are, because you, you look going into this season, they lost Gustavo Bo. Um, you know, last year they had Bobby Wood, Gustavo Bo, and Giacomo Rioni. So they had three guys that were, you know, were forwards. Um, Gustavo Bo is maybe a quasi forward because of the way he plays, but you had three guys that could play that role you know, pretty well. Um, and you know, if you were down to your third choice and one of those guys, you weren't in that bad of a situation. Now, if you're down to your third choice, you don't have a third choice and you're putting Chocolai who, you know, might be the best winger on the roster at striker. And then you're losing him on the wing where he's at his best and putting him up top where, you know, I think he's serviceable. I think he did okay. Um, but he's, you, you're taking away, taking him out of his best position and you tell, you, you know, you talked about how he likes to drift wide and he could you know, do a lot there. And there's nobody in the center when he does that. Right. Um, so, you know, those are all problems, but to me, it was very predictable going into the season that you'd need three strikers on the roster because Bobby Wood, uh, I think they got lucky last year, even with the games that he missed, that he was available more than he's usually available in a season. He's a guy with an injury history. Yakima Rioni is also a guy that has you know decent injury history in his past too. So it's, it's not shocking that you'd have times where both of them were out injured. Um, it's also, you knew you were going to have a lot of fixture congestion at the start of the season uh, with CONCACAF Champions Cup. So to me, it's, I'm not buying the excuse that you know any team, if you're down to your third striker or down to your third in your position, is is you know is going to be in a lot of trouble and wish they had somebody because this is predictable. In the past, you've had at least three strikers in the roster. You also had a guy like Justin Reddix, um last year. I, I, I'm not going out and saying the Revs should have kept Justin Reddix, uh, but I think you probably would have been better off today if you had him, right? And I don't think it's that difficult to add a you know 
guy that's maybe a little a step above Justin Reddick's to this roster um, as a third striker. And I, to me, it's a it's a big miss that they didn't do that. And I think they should be looking very very hard at doing that right now uh, because I, I I think it's. You know, very likely that you know, even when Rioni is unsuspended or when Bobby Wood's healthy, there's going to be another point this season where you need a third striker. It's, those are not guys that I think you can rely on to play every minute of every game. Like you can say, Dave Romney, uh, knock on wood, based on what you saw from him in the past. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, we uh, I, I thought it was interesting in Esmir's post game quotes. He actually mentioned like uh, Chunkalai has played center forward at in in his past, you know, but before coming to New England, and so. Maybe there's a little more to it than that, but I think it's almost more important to the point that you were making about like you're taking him off of left wing or off, you know, off of his best position. And you want to be maximizing in that. You know, you don't want to be uh, compensating. We saw that last year with Dewan Jones when they moved him over to right, he was not as effective. And then that had a sort of knock on effect of like, well, you're not as good at right. Now you're definitely not as good at left. And like your your whole thing gets kind of dragged down. And so I think, you know, you definitely want to be. Now, granted, I don't know exactly what their status is in terms of I honestly I need to double check like what their international roster slot things are. And, you know, like the sort of the particulars of that, the minutia of like who they could even get potentially. Um, You know, we've we've saw the rumors recently of that um, another Argentine winger, which I don't know if they would have necessarily needed or whatever. But like, you know, that would have been another guy who then maybe then you have more comfortable playing Chanclay um, up top. But um yeah, you know, that that's clear. I was just looking at this transfer window closes the primary one on April 23rd. So they have a little bit of time and they have a couple more weeks here to, you know, figure things out both internally. And then also if they if they want to get a guy like who might that be and, um, you know, what is the availability there, which is always, uh, you know, a big thing. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. But I think today showed um, they need to be taking that a little more seriously than maybe Matt Porter was kind of giving it in his, you know, that's his immediate post-game comment. I'm sure maybe in reality, he's, he's been thinking about that and maybe he just doesn't want to say, but um, yeah, you know, I think that that needs to be something that is definitely considered, if not, you know, heavily pursued just based on, you know, yeah, what we kind of saw today. Yeah. And, and you do bring up a good point about Chunk. I have played some center forward in his career, if you look at transfer market, which I think is actually more accurate than, than people realize at times that this, you know, he's played, they have him as playing 204 games in his career. He's played 42 of those at center forward. So that is not nothing. Um, but I think we've all seen enough of him to know that he's a very, very effective winger. Uh, and he's probably more effective at, at left wing than he is, um, you know, as a striker. So I would like prefer like to see him at left wing and prefer to see an actual striker up top. You know, I think we've seen in the past that his heading is not bad, but in this game, he had a couple opportunities where he had open headers that he just completely sent wide to the net. And you know, when you're getting good crosses to unmarked guys in the box in a game like this, you, you need a better result. Uh, so so all, yeah. all, all that all that being said, I, I really think they need to go out there and find another striker. And, you know, I mean, it's also just it's, some of these problems kind of go beyond, you know, that aspect of it in, in terms of like, you know, I mean, they – you could say like you look at the corner kick stats today and the disparity on that and just the utter lack of chances, let alone production um, from those opportunities. But that's the thing that was also true a lot of the time when Vrioni was in the lineup. So it's not like, you know, that's, but that's, that's a larger issue, I guess. And some of these other things that you mentioned, like Chunk Lai just missed the header, you know I mean? Like that's there, there are times like Nacho Hill was right on the doorstep. He just, you know, missed that. And then obviously Sean Johnson makes the a really good save on Matt Polster in stoppage time. And, you know, if any one of those things go differently, then they at least get a, a point out of this today, which would have felt 
a little more well definitely a, a little a little more than a little a lot more satisfying um than ultimately getting shut out in your you know league home opener in front of a really good crowd today and really good weather and all these conditions and they just uh weren't able to get it done um so um but yeah i you know when i when i think about uh just kind of their their situation up front yeah i i just i think like it's just missing something and i'm also not necessarily sold on Vrioni either so you know that's that's another reason why you really i think need to be playing the long game if nothing else and and just keeping something like that on the back burner and in terms of your scouting well that's the the last obvious part of this is, is i don't think anyone should be sold on Vrioni at this point uh, you know yet another reason why you should have another option there because I, I i mean i would go on the record as saying i don't think a team wins an mls cup if bobby wood is their starting striker for the entire season i i, I think bobby wood gave the revs more than i expected him to give the revs last year and was a, a good signing but i don't think he's a starting striker for an mls cont- cup contender and i don't know enough about Vrioni yet to say that he is and I certainly have more questions than answers at this point about him so again that's another reason why I thought in this offseason you have to bring in a third option up there and it's crazy to me that they don't have one um, and you know, I don't think Vrioni is he, you know we talked about how he played decently well against Independiente again it's a weaker opposition but we, ha- we haven't seen enough out of him at all to, to say that he's the answer up top either so yeah that's another great point <laughs> in addition to the availability we don't know that the options that they have are good enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll get a more of a chance, although not Wednesday, because Vrioni will once, you know, they'll have the same problem on Wednesday. Vrioni will be suspended as far as I know. And then, um, uh, you know, you will, I don't know what Bobby Wood's status will be. And that's kind of a microcosm for a lot of this is like, we don't necessarily know what is, I think ideally, honestly, at this point, Bobby Wood should be the third striker, you know, but just like someone who, is like a super sub that you can just bring on at different points so that you maybe can actually give people a rest every once in a while. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's how depth should work. And they do have that at other positions. You know, look at, it wasn't that long ago. They didn't really have enough center midfielders. Now they have way too many. So, I mean, you know, that's, these are problems that are resolvable, but yeah, they just, they have to commit to that. And so I, I didn't get a sense that Porter is really in that mindset right now, but uh, you know, maybe Kurt Anolfo is is drawing closer to that. And maybe Porter is in his, in his own head. And he just wasn't maybe willing to acknowledge that publicly today. I think that's a, a good time to get into listener questions. A lot of them were um, not so positive about Kurt and Alfo. Uh, so let's quickly uh, jump into our listener mailbag, which is brought to you by Subchuck Law. You can find out Subchuck Law's website in our show notes. Uh, Hayden, you ready for listener questions? Let's do it. All right. Uh, so Paulo S on Twitter says, Caleb Porter is having to deal with some really rough seas right now between this ridiculous schedule and injuries. Uh, Ian Harks, Tommy McNamara, and Ryan Spaulding need to shoulder more minutes, either against Alohalense or in Atlanta, in his opinion. Uh, any thoughts on the three of them kind of getting more minutes in the next two games? Ian Harks, definitely. Um, and obviously, look, I mean, Tommy McNamara is like the forgotten man there. You know, like I I literally did forget him in like one of my preseason write-ups when I was talking about center midfield. I was like, you know, I, I just sort of like went right by and I just missed that. But, you know, obviously Tommy, I think at this point is a veteran player and he's not someone who you want for big minutes. I think, you know, he would have been maybe a guy that you would have had a easier time featuring against uh, Independiente, um, you know, from what we know um, in coming up is that it's going to be a tougher, you know, matchup. And so, I think that is where Ian Harks comes into the picture. He has really, there was a capacity to his game um, that I saw against Independiente that 
I guess I hadn't fully rated his ability as a sort of truer defensive midfielder. I thought of him more as not an attacking player, but maybe more of just like a regular box-to-box center midfielder. But he showed good discipline in that game. I remember I, I asked him afterwards about that, and he was like, yeah, we were paying specific attention to their counters, to them in transition. That's where they were, you know, that's where they were going to make their a goal happen if they were going to make it happen. And so, he, you know, th- he was very attentive to that. And you want someone like that, maybe with Polster, because Polster, despite having the reputation as a sort of true defensive midfielder, is someone who has, you know, I've seen, likes to go forward a little bit more. And I think that's good. You want that, especially when he's attacking in an almost like a defensively attack where he's pressing, you know, and winning the ball back higher up field. You want that, but you need someone to either move with him in concert or to cover for him, you know, behind in a, in a sort of holding role. And so, yeah, I think that's a very long way of saying, yeah, I think Harks is going to get some minutes. Um, Dewan Jones, he left today. Um, he, he was subbed out today. Um, you know, I think he took a knock and I didn't know, like we, we asked him post game and they weren't sure what his status is yet coming up, but he's also played, I think like every minute of every game to this point. I mean, at least until he was subbed out today. So I would definitely want him to, um, get a night off. I am not sold on Ryan Spalding as like a frontline left back in like a big game, especially the away tie, you know, that those are always real tough games, but um, yeah, I think all at least two out of three of them will get time. I don't know if they'll start, but they should get time in these you know, upcoming CONCACAF games. And I would expect honestly, Ian Harks to start one, if not both of, of those games. Yeah, it's it's very tough because you you, you know you bring up the good point that Alajuanse is a good team, right? Like it's not Independiente. I think I think Independiente was maybe the time to give those guys some minutes. Like I'm mean, not not Ian Harks. I'm excluding Ian Harks from this conversation because I think Ian Harks is a guy that's you know a justifiable starter against anybody. But yeah. you know, Tommy McNamara at this point in his career and Ryan Spaulding, you know, I think if you start doing too much of that against Alajuanse you lose that game and you lose that series. Um, you, you know, you could have done that. You could have done that in the second leg against Independiente, I think, and, and probably been fine. I get why Caleb Porter didn't, why he wanted to make sure they won that and moved on. But you know, now you're in a tough spot where you're playing Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, three games in six days on top of already having short rest before that. Uh, you know, I think you probably have to do more, more rotation than he has, but I, I don't really know how that plays out. You know, you could lose the Atlanta game. You've lost three games in a row to start the season. You're in a tough spot, but you can recover from that. You lose to Ala Valencia at home. You're basically out of the CONCACAF Champions Cup. So I, I guess there's a decision to be made there on how seriously you want to take the CONCACAF Champions Cup. And, and so far, they've taken it very seriously. And so there's no reason for me to think that they don't continue to do that against Ala Valencia. Um, but you know, if they do do that, then they probably need to do a lot more rotation in Atlanta and you know if they do that they're probably going to lose that game and then people are going to be talking about an 0 3 revolution team um so it's it's kind of a, a, a tough spot to be in and it's an especially tough spot to be in because they lost today right if they won today yeah. and you know won their home game then maybe you don't feel as bad about them losing on the road in Atlanta even though that'd be you know two road losses to start the season uh but you know now it's it's a very tough spot but I, I don't think you can afford to start Ryan Spaulding against Alavalense and Tommy McNamara against Alajuelense and expect to win that game. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they start that game. And I think if they start in Atlanta, it's more of a sign that they're kind of throwing in the towel on that game and just you know, recognizing the schedule is so busy that they almost have to you know, for- forfeit a game by-, by playing all the backups. And, you know, there was some talk about, and I think we might have had some you know, questions or about why didn't they rotate more today. 
And I think when you heard Caleb Porter's comments after the match, kind of gave you a sense of why. He talked about this being, you know, the home opener, the MLS home opener against a great crowd and wanting to send them home with joy. And then he even talked about how, you know, fans, Carlos Hill pushed to play, even though he was, wasn't was 100% yesterday and was feeling some pain. He you know, did that for the fans and everything. And you know, I, I think Caleb Porter really wanted to win his MLS home opener in front of 30,000 fans and send them home happy. And that was very important to him. And I completely get that. And I'm sure that was important to the organization too. I mean, they had the, you know, the, the summit yesterday with the, the season ticket holders and, you know, I, I'm sure they wanted to follow that up with a big win to get everyone excited going forward. So it's, it's I, I, I don't know what to say other than he, he is in a very, very tough spot. Um, but I don't think you can afford to, to rest too many guys against Alavalense if you want to win that series. So if, if, if I was, if it was up to me, I would probably be more apt to rest a lot of guys against Atlanta and just realize that you know, you're going to be in a tough spot and you're going to probably take a lot of heat for it. But if you want to win the CONCACAF Champions Cup and go far, I think that's what you have to do. And you can theoretically do that and still recover your MLS season in time to, to make something of that, considering more than half the teams make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, Revs fans uh, can definitely remember 2019 where the start was terrible. And it was, you know, one of the one of the worst in, in recent memory for the club. And they still went obviously that involved like a also that played on beat run to dig that hole. And that's not something necessarily feasible every time you do it. But no, I agree. I mean, I think if you're going to pick one or if you really want to win CONCACAF Champions Cup, which, uh, you know, maybe not everyone would. But like if that is you know, something that you want to be in, then that is the short-term focus. But I also do, you know, I mean, Caleb at some point said, I'm trying to remember, I think it was early season or maybe, uh, yeah, before one of the first games where he said, you know, the analytics say, and he is an analytics guy. He referenced that again today in his post-game press conference, but he said, you know, the analytics say, if you rotate more than five guys, you don't win. Um, and so that, you know, that seems to be a pretty strong indication that he's a, he wants a lot of continuity in his lineups and, um, I get that. I mean, that still means you can make four changes. And I would expect that he does all of that probably because, you know, at some point, like <laughs> Matt Polster can't play literally every single minute of every single game as he's been doing. And that also just like, again, if you're, if you're playing the long picture here, especially with Carlos and like an injury, like at some point you got to rotate him out because you're going to need him. And it's just going to look so silly if you run these guys into the ground too early and they just, you know, have nothing because, the season goes on for months. It's a it's a grind. And granted, you're not always going to be in the stretches where you're playing midweek game after midweek game, along with weekend games as well. But um, yeah, I you know he has to. It's easy to get sucked in and be like, yeah, I really wanted to win this game and get fixated on that. But you do have to see the whole board. And you know, to his credit, I think he does. I think he just yeah, he just was really hyped for this game, and I get it. The circumstances seem to kind of align. And then they just went out and kind of laid an egg today. So that's, you know, now you're behind the eight ball. So, you know, how he responds will be very interesting. But, yeah, I would expect to see um, even in the home game where you're like, you have to win that in the, the midweek. I think there will be, you know, a good amount of uh, some some degree of rotation. But it's, it's funny you mentioned the four or five guys you can rotate and still win. And it's kind of four or five positions that he's been rotating, right? Because you look at the Revolution lineup and I think there's five names out there that you say, if you take this guy out, you know, I don't know how this team is going. Well, four names. I'll take it back. Four names where if you take this guy out, I don't know how the team necessarily is going to be able to play the same way or, or, or win without them. And that's 
Carlay's heel, number one. I think anytime you take him out of a game, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, I don't I don't know that you can take him out of any of these games and expect to win. Again, with the exception of maybe that second leg against Independiente, I, you know, maybe. And, I, and when he came out at halftime, I, I assume that was a planned sub to rest him. It was right. alarming that it was an injury. Um, but, yeah. you know, he, he's one guy that I don't think you can really afford to rest if you want to win a game. Uh, and then Tomas Chankalai is another guy that has become such a key part of this offense that I think you, it's such a huge drop-off if you take him out. Dewan Jones, who we mentioned, is a, it's a massive massive drop-off, I think, if you take him out, a left-back spot. And then the last one being Dave Romney, who you know, we haven't seen sit at all. We've seen the guys next to him rotate around, and they've done you know fairly well, whether that was you know Henry Kessler today, Andrew Farrell, Mensah. But we haven't seen Dave Romney sit. So yeah. once we see one of those guys sit, then you know that, that'll be interesting because it's, it's been those four guys that you know, he's rotated everyone else at some point, but none of them have been rotated. So... I yeah that's that's where it gets tricky and like you said I think Carlos Hill needs to rest at some point he's a guy that historically has had a lot of injuries um, yeah so they they can't afford that to happen I will say that you know I thought this you mentioned the second half against Independiente that for the first time since uh, in the Carlos Hill era where I was watching that game and was thinking like oh maybe they actually do you know with Esmir now they maybe actually do have not obviously a like for like change because Carlos is literally the 2021 MVP. You know, he's like one of the best players in club history, you know, just replace that guy, but you have someone who at least is viable in that role and someone who, you know, in, in limited little, um, you know, circumstances and little sequences in the game kind of looks like Carlos in a way and is, is certainly a very bright player. And so, you know, you might actually finally have a year where you have the roster. You, you at least have a guy behind him who, is that viable alternative? But even still, like you'd have to be really careful with when you did that because, you know, Esmir is still an 18-year-old, you know, just a, a very young player. And while he is so mature in so many ways, so many parts of his game, I think already in terms of especially his positioning and his spatial awareness, you know, he's still going to be just inconsistent because young players are inconsistent a lot of the time. And so you'd have to be really careful with that. But I do think that there is actually now maybe for the first time in years that window where, you're not just going to take Carlos out and then have to just utterly change your setup and your tactics because you don't have another guy who can do anything close to what he can do. No one can really do what he can do, you know, on the current roster other than him, obviously. But Esmir is maybe some guy who's starting to get into at least the ballpark there. That's a, that's a fair point. Yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. 
we got a lot more questions, so I better, I better move a little bit faster. Uh, this one's a comment. I don't know if we actually need to respond to it, but Dr. Defense on Twitter says, the Revs played well enough to get a draw, but that's not good when facing Toronto FC at home. Rioni, for all his limitations, was sorely missed. Credit to Toronto FC for successfully parking the bus, minimizing Carly's heel. Despite a less talented roster, they executed their game plan. I think I'd probably agree with all that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they, they, they were so... I was very impressed... You know, just being there in person, and I like the perspective we get up in the press box where you can just see the whole field, even when the camera's not on everyone. They moved in concert well, and especially defensively without the ball. I thought they were very well organized whenever Esmir or Carlos got the ball, especially in those little positions kind of tucked in in the, the right channel, and they try to cut inside. They were like on it. They were ready for that. And so, you know, they were they had a very astute game plan. They executed. We saw them in the first half. They went toe-to-toe. They had about 50-50 possession. I forget what the exact split was, but it was pretty much even. They scored their goal. They were threatening on a couple other sequences. Probably should have had another goal. Had scored another goal that was called back for offsides and then not checked by VAR. Um, you know, they did all those things and were good in the first half. And then in the second half, they subbed out Bernadeschi for uh, Kobe Franklin, who's a, a defensive, you know, an outside back or a wing back. And they just went into, all right, let's just lock this thing in. And then, you know, to their credit, they executed that part too. So, yeah, I mean, it was a comprehensive defensive performance for them to to get that win. So, I mean, I you know, tip your cap to that. And uh, Aided by some fantastic goal. saves by Sean Johnson. <laughs> also that, yeah. I mean, that, especially that. that last one, I like, I literally gasped. I was like, <laughs> you know, because that was at RN and we saw him and I was like, it almost looked like an optical illusion when he tipped the ball somehow over the bar there. I mean, goalies, when they do that, that's like one of the most underrated cool skills that a goalie has. And he called that at the perfect moment. Cause that was, I thought that was a, that was an equalizer in stoppage time. That would have, you know, blown the roof off the stadium at that point, but uh, it was not to be. I have to say in my years of watching Sean Johnson, I never remember him having a game that good before. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and he was also pretty um, turned up at different points in that game. Like it was pretty testy in the second half, and he was right in the middle of that. And you know, to his credit, he didn't let that affect him. In fact, I, that probably just you know maybe raised his uh, level up a little bit there, and and right at the perfect time for them. Unfortunately for the Revs, he got himself a yellow card, but he was smart enough not to get a second. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Trigger on Twitter says with three fourths of the most creative players in the league on the field at the same time, which I assume he's talking about Carles, Chonklai, and Esmir. Why weren't the refs able to figure out how to play through the middle of the field in the second half? Um, also, why do all refs seemingly hate us? I'm going to guess that's about the uh, penalty call that the refs did not get. And while, while we're there, because we haven't talked about it, what did you think of the Esmir penalty shout that went to VAR and very quickly was ruled not a penalty? Well, I mean, I think like everyone maybe in the moment, uh, or I don't know, not everyone, but like, I guess I'll just speak for myself. I just, I didn't see it in the moment. I didn't necessarily know what had happened. I just saw it was like one of those sequences where, you know, it was a 50, 50 and then the ball got cleared. Then on replay though, you're like, Oh, that's a penalty. He stepped on his foot. I mean, like, uh, you know, Seth, uh, from blazing musket tweeted out that video. And I think it's pretty clear. I, I guess, you know, maybe there's some other angle that they saw that, you know, sort of vindicates or, um, you know, uh, you know, proves that it, it wasn't a penalty or something, you know, but like, it looked like a pretty clear, like stepped on his foot. That's a card and that's a penalty type scenario. And then I found there, uh, the, uh, my colleague at the globe, Frank Talapa asked the pool report question afterwards. And the explanation from the official was the referee observed the defender cleanly playing the ball and no foul was committed, which 
okay, man, I get that doesn't answer anything. That's just like, you know, this is like the big Lebowski. Like, well, that's just your opinion, man. You know, like that's, it appears the video counters that, but um, yeah, I guess that's just one more kind of VAR mystery that you can chalk up to, um, you know, and I guess, you know, uh, referee lockout or not, that's been an issue for, you know, VAR and its usage in MLS. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that, this one today seemed, um, particularly mystifying would be my response. Yeah. I think, I think I was in the same boat as you at the time. I didn't really notice anything. And then when, when they went to VAR and I went back and looked at the replay, like, Whoa, that's going to get called. And then it didn't. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) so I was a little bit, a little bit shocked by that. Um, but you know, I don't know if it's the refs necessarily hating the revs or just the the replacement refs not not being that good. Um, <laughs> but on the on the other part, why is it with so many creative players the revs couldn't figure out how to play through the middle in the second half? Well, that's a I mean that is that's a really interesting question, you know, because you're like, and that's always such an interesting question whenever a team with you know really talented, creative, attacking players is unable to score a goal. I think people's natural conclusion will be, well, that's why you need a center forward in there. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to that, of course, but, you know, they were in, um, I think, you know, in large part, part of it is just the, it's boring to say, and it's not like clever of an answer, but it's just part of it is just kind of bad luck or just guys just didn't play their best. You know, it's like uh, in the first half, they, their press worked pretty well, especially in the first couple minutes of the game, they turned over Toronto multiple times in their own half were, you know, not in on goal, but like had odd man rushes, basically, you know, we're in there with like some good counterattack scenarios and guys just made bad decisions basically in transition. And they just didn't set guys up in positions to score. We saw other little isolated moments where like Noel Buck played in a really great through ball to Esmir and he was seemingly in, but they just, he couldn't, you know, hit it cleanly or get a, a clean shot on it. And, you know, there were just little sequences where Toronto was just, again, playing very, effective uh smothering defense when they needed to the revs just not executing but um yeah i do think there is something to that you know they they were maybe a little out of sorts without a focal point um to kind of you know to play through and we saw that in giacomo's uh assist uh, you know on on, um in the Concacaf game where it's like it was just like a little touch or whatever you know and, and his like hockey assist he had on the on the nacho hill goal where it's like you know they sometimes they just need a guy to just play that opportune like little poke or that little one touch pass or something, just even like a little two foot pass, but they just need someone there to kind of hold up the defender and occupy the center backs to maybe give space to those creative players a little bit more. And so, you know, maybe that's it, but we did see some of that today. They did have good interchange and and combination passing, and there was some very creative and good play. uh, But just, especially in the first half, you know, they really were stifled, but I think part of that was, you know, just, Toronto was able to do that higher up the field. You know, they were able to just keep the ball for large periods in the first half. And they were able to just turn the revs over in their own half before the ball would even get to revs, creative players or trap them in the corner. You know, they were, they were smart and they were um, able to isolate the revs when they got the ball. And so those creative players weren't always able to connect with each other. So I do think though, as I was saying with my original takeaway, like this is something that will come with time. I think it's something that will come with a little more, more reps in Caleb Porter's system and with like Esmir in the lineup and things like that, things that last year were not, you know, commonplace. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're, they're developing, but yeah, I, I would put more credit on the reps for just kind of not just being on their game today. Um, and Toronto for being smart and effective defensively. 
Yeah, there there were a number of times too where the Rebs were you know, one pass away from a fantastic chance, and you know, Caleb Porter after the game kind of pointed to some of the indecisiveness or not not being quick enough decisions, or in some cases not being selfish enough. I, I talked about one instance where Esmir passed to Henry Kessler, where you know he should have just taken the shot himself, um, which I, I recall that. I think Henry Kessler had a pretty poor shot in one situation. But again, like he's not the guy you want to be taking those shots. If you have Esmir and an opportunity to take it, you'd rather have Esmir take it. Um, and, and there was an opportunity in the first half, I believe, where, where Chonkalai could have passed to Ima Boateng, who was wide open to his left, and instead dribbled into two defenders and lost the ball. Uh, and, that, and that would have been one-on-one with the goalkeeper for Ima Boateng. And we've seen Ima Boateng put that away before. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think there were several opportunities in the game where the Rebs made one more good pass. <laughs> they probably would have gotten on the score sheet, too. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to blame that on early season, but you know I do think there's still some some chemistry building to be done and some you know, building confidence in teammates, et cetera, to, to figure it all out. Uh, but yeah, I, it's it's tough to have that much talent on the field and, and not see a ball go in the back of the net in a home game, um, even even without a number nine out there. <laughs> I, I previewed for you that we had a number of kind of negative questions about Curtin Alfo, which is sort of understandable given the striker situation because he is the GM now and that is his responsibility. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to jump into the, some of those now. DC on Twitter said, Kurt admis- admitted yesterday, which I assume he was means at the um, season ticket holders event at Gillette, that he has led the building of this roster for over two years. Uh, he notes that we have no right back with Brandon Bay injured. And in tw- and, and 2024, Andrew Farrell can't play right back anymore. And that led to the goal in space between Farrell and Esmir was where TFC played. Uh, there's eight midfielders on the roster and no forward depth. What is Kurt Nafo's grade here? Uh, I would just go out and say he did bring Nick Lima. So there is a right back on the roster. Um, you know, regardless of what you think of him, I, th- I mean, I think he's a decent depth piece for the Revs, but th- it's not fair to say there's no right back on the roster. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I mean, they do Brandon by, but he just tore his ACL. <laughs> so, I mean, like he's, he's just out and that's just a fact of life, unfortunately for the foreseeable future really for them. But you know, he did address that. I think that, you know, also like when you say you know, he's he's had control of the roster for the last couple of years. I mean, like for at least one of those years, you had a much bigger personality in the room, too, who I'm sure had a big role in a lot of the decisions that were made. And, um, you know, I, I do have some questions about their most recent offseason, though, and uh, we've touched on it extensively in, um, already in terms of not addressing uh, the depth that striker. Um, but, you know, this is kind of that's that's still a thing that you know it's like the game goes on like you could still resolve that potentially I, I again i'm not sure the specifics on their on what they maybe could add in the short term but um you know it's it's still there to be done if he so chose to do it um i think that you know the it's it's too early to judge him on this season obviously we're just a couple weeks into it and they are in fact they did advance in concacaf champions cup which is farther than i guess they made it Last time, well, I guess they they made it around because the forfeit they they made right. it as far last time. But in terms of opponents played and advancing from that, then they've they've already done better in that regard. But um, yeah, I you know I think you could pin some blame on him for that. It's it's a bit of an unbalanced roster. To his credit, he acknowledged after last season when or when he was hired in the off season to be um, sporting director, he acknowledged fully that yeah the injury to Brandon By exposed a major hole in the roster and that that was a problem and. Um, you know, but also the other part of this is the jury is very much still out on uh, Henrik Ravas. You know, I mean, I think like he could be good and and limited spurts, especially even today. Like he looked pretty good. He made some good saves for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it's I'm not 100 percent sold on it. You know, like the third goal against Benteke in the D.C. game was not exactly his finest hour. And, um, you know, I think uh, 
that part of it is still TBD. So yeah, I mean this, yeah, it, we'll see with um, Kurt, but again, he has until mid April or late April to maybe make another um, addition here. And so uh, he may yet win over some of his skeptics. Well, we will see. Yeah. I, I know everyone's quick to kind of, Right off or ignore the CONCACAF Champions Cup because it was against a weaker opposition. But for, for those that have covered the team for a very, very long time, like myself, it is important to note that this is the only time they've ever beaten anyone in the CONCACAF Champions Cup other than via forfeit under Bruce Arena. So, you know, this is a team that lost to Joe Public uh, from Trinidad years ago. Uh, there is something to – he does get some credit for, for taking care of business against Independiente. And if he can beat Alajuelense, that's a team that's knocked the revs out of this competition twice already. So uh, yeah. that would be an accomplishment. Um, so regardless of how bad the MLS season has started, uh, you know, and, and I think you do have to put it in the context that, you know, Matt Doyle from MLS pointed out that every single team in week one that had played CONCACAF Champions Cup the week before did not win. Uh, I think this weekend that held true for everybody except maybe St. Louis or I think only one team this this weekend won. Um, I even looked over at uh, the Mexican League and how they did at every team the last week that they had played also didn't win so you know there is something to it being difficult you don't want to make too many excuses but i think that is there is some validity to the excuse that playing all these games early in the season uh, is a tough thing to do um so there, there is that behind all this uh dc also says will kurt be fired after 20 games again like he was when he was the coach of the galaxy uh, i'm gonna go with no <laughs> no i mean you know like and also i will say you know you the the roster uh, not the most balanced, but you look, I mean, you go through individually and you look at like those additions that they've made. I mean, like people panned the addition of Ian Harks when they signed him and he's been a good player since they've added him. You know, it's like individually, a lot of those moves were not bad moves, you know, it, it, and in some cases genuinely good moves. So, I mean, you know, were they always the right moves? Uh, possibly not, but that's just kind of MLS roster building. You just kind of take what you can get when you can get it sometimes. And if it's a good player, you know, don't say no to him. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, and yeah, I definitely don't see him getting fired after 20 games or, um, you know, after even this season, because I, you know, they just hired him as, as officially as sporting director. I feel like they give him a little more of a, a run out to work with Caleb. Yeah. And I wasn't there for the you know season ticket holder summer. So I don't, I don't know exactly what he said about how much he was in charge over the past two years, but it is, it's hard for me to evaluate until now when, you know, he officially is in charge you know, how much control he actually did have. And because of that, you know, you look at how he went into this offseason. He didn't have, you know, to use a, a Mike Burns term, he didn't have that much roster flexibility to work with this this offseason. You know, it, it, was it him that gave Tommy McNamara a guaranteed year in 2024? You know, was that a smart move? I don't know if that was him. Maybe it was him, in which case I do have questions. Um, but I don't know that that was him. And if it wasn't him, his hands were kind of tied. Um, but one thing that we do know was him was Tomas Vasilik. Uh, and that's a question that Derek Terrell had. He said, is there a reason the Revs took Tomas Vasilik over Sean Johnson and says Curtin Awful on top? Well, first of all, Sean Johnson, correct me if I'm wrong, signed for Toronto at the beginning of last season. So he wouldn't have been available when the Revs were looking for a goalkeeper. So I don't really know that that that's a, f- a fair question. Um, should they have taken somebody else over Tomas Vasilik is a fair question, <laughs> but maybe not Sean Johnson. Clearly. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's on his number of <laughs> career games played for the revolution in his, uh, um, you know, his, his career in new England. <laughs> but yeah, if, if you want to look at a starting point where you can start knocking curtain off with decisions without having to doubt who else was involved, I think that's the starting point. Uh, before that you're, you know, like you said, Bruce Arena was a very powerful personality and kind of regardless of what Kurt said about his, 
being in charge, you know, I, I'm I'm sure Bruce Arena was heavily involved in you know bringing in Josie Altador and Omar Gonzalez and a lot of his his old boys that joined the team over the years. So it's 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 hard for me to evaluate much beyond that. But you can certainly say Tomas Vasilik was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Kurt, yeah, it, like there's no way he was 100 percent in charge. You might even say I would call that a bunch of baloney, but I, you know, I guess, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I just had to make that dumb reference, but yeah. Uh, we've got a uh, very sarcastic comment from Sunday Afternoon Fullbacks on Twitter. He says, I'm just happy we're winning statistical battles instead of on the scoreboard. That last idiot manager cared too much about goals. Gustavo Bo, let him walk and don't replace him. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, and that's, um, it's, this is not going to help Caleb Porter's case in this case, but he did reference like those stats and the analytics. And he said, I think his quote was something like, I know you guys probably don't care about any of that. And it sounds like they don't, but you know, I mean, like I, I personally, as someone who I like, I care about that, you know, watching a game. Cause you're like, look over the course of a season, over the course of a large sample size, those things are going to, you know, probably come good. I mean, like I've seen examples where it just kind of doesn't and a team fizzles and it doesn't end well, but like, you know, most of the time, like those things average out over the course of a, a longer MLS season and MLS season, if nothing else is quite long. So, I mean, like you're probably going to have a bunch of bounce back at some point and, you know, this will resolve itself. And yeah, especially in that second half, I mean, they did really uh, turn it up. And I mean, it was also a factor of Toronto changing their strategy, but um, yeah, they, they looked good. And so, you know, I mean, I know it's easy to dismiss XG and that is almost a meme at this point to make fun of that, but it it's a tool or it's like a thing that tells you a little picture from a game. It's not, you know, telling you who gets the three points at the end of it, but um, I wouldn't totally dismiss that as, as a view of this team over the long game or the, the, you know, the course of what they're aiming for this season, as opposed to what they are literally right now. Yeah, no, I, I agreed, but <laughs> it is tough to look beyond the results so far this season. Uh, James Downing on Twitter says, what would you use the Revs open roster spot on? Um, I think you know what I would say based on my takeaway. I don't, I don't know if you agree that you know they do have one open senior roster spot. What would you use it on? And also, you know, we, you said we don't know what they necessarily have to work with. I, I'm not sure what they have as far as international roster spots, but it does seem like they have a decent amount of allocation money to play with uh, and a senior roster spot. So they, they they probably, whether it's an international player or a U.S. player, they at least probably have a decent amount of money to give them. Not designated player money, but you know, a decent amount of money to, to bring in a third striker and actually – you know, probably pay them more than they're paying Bobby Wood. Yeah, it's almost like the sort of MLS equivalent of like the NBA mid-level or something. You know, it's like they they could add someone like that maybe, which like that would be great. And I honestly, I mean, again, this is just short-term bias maybe, but I think as we've been talking through, like there's good sense to this. It has to be a forward. It has to be someone who at least can play forward. You know, whether that's like another guy who's just sort of in the chunk line mold of like he's kind of versatile. He can play a couple different spots, but yeah, ideally you want to just try to add someone who can help you out um, as, you know, just an insurance policy on Vrioni if he's bad or if he's hurt or Bobby Wood if he's, you know, just unfortunately hurt a bunch because that's just he's in a latter stage of his career. So, yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree. They, they, that's where they should go, you know, and, and again, unless like, I don't know, Henrik Gravas turns out to be a disaster. But even then, I think you have viable alternatives, a goalkeeper in a way that you kind of don't at center forward. So that. That seems to be the obvious one. Yeah, and we've got 
several more questions along the the same token about striker. Uh, Derek Terrell on Twitter says this team does not have a viable striker, and it really showed today. No reason they should be losing to Toronto at home. Dog Lover zero six zero four on Twitter said striker has been and will continue to be a problem. Rioni directly caused two losses. Chonkalai is not the answer up top. And Porter on Twitter says now that Chonkalai as a striker experiment has failed. How badly was Rioni missed today? Are, are you ready to call the Chonkalai striker? experiments a failure i feel like i'm generally skeptical of calling anything a failure after just one game of it happening you know where it's just like okay i mean unless we're talking like the world cup and this is like a tournament play where it's just like it's such a finite number of games that you have to make it happen or not no but this is like a club team playing over the course of a long season and um you know, I, this is not going to be the last time. I mean, he might even start again there Wednesday or something, you know, so we might have to run it back uh, in, in that, you know, watching that again, but you know, he was very active today. He's a very different type of forward, obviously than Vrioni. Um, They're similar in a sense that their work rate is, is high, which I like, honestly, from a center forward, um, you know, he's, he's hustling around, he's running to the channels, he's drifting wide, trying to find open space. And he's doing that. He was, you know, fighting to retain possession and trying as best he could to hold up the ball, but you can clearly tell that's not his natural game. So it's not that it's a failure. It's just that like, you're putting a guy in a spot that he probably doesn't, he's not most natural. And even if he can play there. And so, yeah, I think like for the moment that maybe is a, the best alternative, but their best lineup I, for now, it still has to include Vrioni, at least until we see that he just definitively can't do it or whatever. You know, it's like he works hard. He had assists. Like maybe that's all you need from your center forward in a sense. If you have three guys behind that who are really good players like Carlos and Tomas and, you know, Esmir and Nacho, whoever's in that spot or Barrero when he comes back. And you know, maybe you just need a guy who can just kind of do the workman like stuff up front there. And then maybe every once in a while score a goal. But um yeah, to, to call it a failure after one game is is uh, uh, silly, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I'm also not, you know, I'm not convinced that if Rioni had played today, they would have won either, right? Yeah. I think because because we haven't, <laughs> we, we, there's nothing that I've seen from Rioni yet to tell me that he would make a huge difference if he played in this game. Um, the big difference would have been Chonkley playing in his more preferred position more than anything. So, I, yeah, I don't, it's... Yes, you miss Rioni just because of how this game played out, but then do you really miss Rioni when you think about how he's played for the Revs, you know, against DC and, and some of these other games? So I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't love Chonklai as a striker for the reasons we talked about, but it, it, you could do worse, um, and he could get better at that role. And you know, like we, like Asmir said, and like like I saw in the statistics, he has played there forty two times, some odd times in his career. So it's not. It's not that out of the out of the realm, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think in general they miss having a striker, but I'm not sure that Rioni necessarily would have would have changed the result. I'd like to think that he would have, but it's it's hard to say for certain. Uh, he certainly hasn't been a world beater. But I, I, one last quick point: as you talked about Chonkla's work rate, and you talked about some similarities of it to Rioni. He had one play in this game where he had an outrageous slide tackle, which I think was to try to block up a shot. And all I can think about is he made concentrate on that. He's getting sent out of this game. And that's the second time he's done that this season. There was another one. I'm forgetting which game it was where he did the same thing. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, mm-hmm. He missed the ball. He missed the guy. And I think it was probably just an attempt to block a pass. But if that goes wrong and he hits the guy, he's getting himself sent off. And he's, I've seen him do that twice now this year. And I said, I, I, I'm concerned that there could be a time where maybe he does connect with somebody and it doesn't go so well for the Revs. Uh, and, and then he could be like, for and getting a red card. Yeah. And he definitely, you know, his game and just like, 
him on the field, his demeanor, he seems to have an edge to him, you know, like there's definitely a capacity there where you could see, you know, things escalating a little bit in terms of, you know, him maybe losing his temper or whatever. Like, you know, I, we haven't seen that. So I won't, I won't assume that as like a thing, but you do see those little flashes, those little moments really, like, Oh, I don't know. And you know, whereas Brioni, it's just like, he's just trying so hard. I don't believe he has like any malice in his heart or anything. You know, he's just, he's just going full bore and just like maybe making questionable decisions. Whereas Chancolai, sometimes you're like, you know, sometimes I think he just kind of gets a little mad, you know, and you're like, uh, maybe you got to rein it in a little bit, but also I know that for some guys, like that's a fine line because that is how they reach the best part of their game sometimes. And maybe that's also true with him where I've seen that. So yeah, it goes both ways, but I, I, I agree. I, I, when I saw that today, it was almost like a cartoon slide tackle. It was like, he went like 10 yards or something past it. And you're like, you know, it's really good. He didn't actually connect on any of that. And he just kind of, the guy just faked him out and he just turned the other direction. Cause yeah, that, that would have been a card and it would have been utterly pointless. Cause he was like in their, their box or something. He was right. like as far away from his own goal as he could be. So like, why are you selling out that hard on a slide tackle that, you know, doesn't, you know, necessarily have the most practical value in that part of the field. I mean, even if he blocked that, it's probably going out for a goal kick. Like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jake Katniss from the Blazing Musket on Twitter. He uh, has a suggestion. He's no, not a question. Um, also on the striker point, he says, there's no question, just a quick brainstorm on some solid Bobby Wood level MLS US strikers the Revs could trade for right now. I would use 250K in Garber Bucks to get Teal Bunbury back tomorrow. <laughs> what, what, would, would you do that? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I would have to like look around at the options, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I would just be like, yep, that's it. Lock <laughs> me in on Teal, you know, again in 2024 definitively. Um, but, you know, it's like if it came down to it and it was like that or nothing or that or some, you know, very much less proven version of like, I don't know, like Justin Rennix or something like that's not Justin Rennix, but just sort of as an example. I would take Teal Bunbury over a player like that or I would take Teal Bunbury over not adding another striker because I think also with Teal. And we were talking about, you know, strikers who work hard for their team. Teal, you know, would definitely do that. And he was a versatile player who you could plug in, you know, as a sort of a, uh, as like a late sub, as almost like a defensive winger type role. Like he was really good at that. There's, if you're going to have, I mean, this is the other thing where it's like, if you're going to add one more guy to your roster, uh, you want to add someone who has some versatility. And so Teal definitely has that. And so that would be a fun one. I don't know at this point in his career, if that's really the effective player that you want to add, that is going to be a difference maker, someone who could potentially off, you know, replace Brioni in the starting lineup consistently. That doesn't feel like a thing he can do, but um, you know, just as a guy in the locker room and as a guy who can do a couple different things and is an, you know, just an earnest contributor and also someone who has done it here in new England. Um, you know, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for sure. Well, it's, it's a funny suggestion because I know, you know, if you, if you, go on Nashville Twitter, they're, they're not happy right now that they're in a situation where Sam Surge is injured and that they're stuck using Till Bunbury as their striker and is therefore depth is, is not great either. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Till Bunbury at 34 years old would not be, I, I don't know who my top choice would be to be fair. Cause I don't know the, the, the full, the full information about what the revolution have, if they can get an international player, how much game and Tam and everything they have. Uh, but I would, kind of hope that they have enough to do better than Teal Bunbury as much as yeah. much as I appreciate what he's done for the revolution over the years and the player that he he was um at 34 years old I don't know that he's the answer it is good you know good for him that he's started two games for Nashville this season he scored yesterday on a penalty kick um so he's you know he's still contributing but I, I 
I like the suggestion, Jake, but probably not not where I would go. <laughs> that's I. That's how I would phrase it too, for sure. Uh, Revs Ball Knower on Twitter says he was behind the goal during the second half. It looked like Toronto suffocated the middle of the field whenever Carles touched the ball. So if Carles has no space, who will make the final ball happen? And can I repeat my question from last week? Who will score besides Carles and Chonkley? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we, we talked about that. Like, Toronto definitely did have a very focused and very intentional game plan. They were kind of doing the same thing with Esmir because he's another guy who, you know, if you're looking for where else the creative spark or potentially a goal could come from, can definitely be him, I think, you know, especially as he continues to grow in and, as Caleb Porter put it, you know, sometimes be a little selfish and shoot the ball. And, um, you know, that's where goals can come from. Chonkley is also someone, I, I forget if that was, he was already listed, but, you know, that's that's a guy you got to look to for goals and, um you know, I think like you need that's where you need contributions from midfielders. Um, you know, that's always and, you know, Matt Polster has always seemingly been on the cusp of someone who could contribute goals. He almost had one today and almost really a dramatic one and was denied only by a great save. So maybe that's, you know, and someone like Noel Buck, who did score some highlight goals last year. And you're like, you know, I keep waiting for him to kind of tap back into that. Uh, he had a terrible season. shot today. <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite bad. But you know, it's also like he at least is trying stuff. You know, as as Bob Bradley we used to say about like Clint Dempsey with the national team, like he tries. Well, he didn't say stuff, but he would try stuff. And you know, like you, you'd get a you know someone else in there who can you know just you know add a goal every once in a while. You know, and and uh, to offset some of that. But yeah, I mean, this is where you're missing like someone like just Gustavo Bo just casually putting up a, a couple of goals no matter what every year because those little margins, you know, that's where you're losing these games instead of tying them. Yeah. Uh, v on Twitter says, why didn't we take any shots? Well, they did take 23 shots. So yes. I don't know. <laughs> there were a couple times where maybe they should have shot as well, but I don't know if I necessarily agree. That was the problem. Um, other than a few distinct instances. <laughs> uh, Tringle Trangle on Twitter has two questions. One is just a lot of Oz with a question mark. I don't know if I can answer that one. Uh, whether they said, is this collapse worse than 2015, 16 or not as bad? Cause the revs never amounted to anything in the playoffs like they did in 2014. I'm going to assume that I saying collapse, this means they're going back to when they collapsed last year and into the season and not just talking about this season. Uh, what, what would you, how, how would you respond to that one? <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, those, I, I just think that they're, I mean, you know, I guess like, well, that's another kind of TBD thing. Cause it's like, you're talking about like collapse, you know, like that, I assume that means like a sort of longer term, like seasonal decline or something or over the course of a year. As um, I guess, I guess you could go back and call this a you know multiple year collapse because they didn't make the playoffs the year after they won the supporter shield and yeah. last year started. Okay. And then fell down the toilet. So they really, you know, uh, I, mean, they, I guess they did well enough to make the champions cup and how they did last year, but you could call last season overall the way it ended a failure. So it's kind of two failured seasons in a row after winning the supporter shield, but yeah, it's too soon to write off this season, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And it, it does feel very like it could go either way. They could be a very good team. I could, you can see that you can see flashes of it every once in a while, which is how they move the ball and how they, you know, have talented players and they have depth and they have young players coming through who are really good. And there's a lot there to be excited about. Uh, but then, yeah, you know, they just, they have a lot of question marks, including at very important parts of the field at goalkeeper still, in my opinion, um, just again, because we just haven't seen enough of Ravas yet. That's not anything against him from what, you know, from the games he's played so far. And then at center forward, and that's obviously a critical comp- position if you're ever going to win anything in, in soccer. So yeah, I mean, like 
I think it's too early to say anything in terms of like these macro level takes about the team and its direction. But um, yeah, you know, it, it could go that way. You know, there's there, it definitely there's a version. There's several versions probably where it goes that way. But I think there are more versions where they're a playoff team again this year. And, you know, then when you look at that in in the scope of a couple year run, you're like, even though last year was a disappointment, they still did make the playoffs. And that is an important distinction, especially compared to like the pre Bruce arena era where they went years without even making the playoffs. And so, you know, they, they seem to have raised as a club up a level or two, especially when you take into account like the Academy, but you know, you still have to tie all that together and get results on the field. And they're not doing that right now. So these are, you know, ultimately these are justifiable questions. All right, just three questions left. We're getting to the end. <laughs> Cam B at Twitter says, why do the Revs insist on putting Mark Anthony K in over younger and better guys on this team? Well, I mean, Mark Anthony K scored a goal um, <laughs> against Independiente. Granted, it was the last goal, and it was like from point blank range. Um, you know, and also goal scoring is not like his primary function as a player on the field. He is, of those central midfielders, he's the one who is in a way kind of the most distinct because he's the most like defined as a player. He's a true holding midfielder who can, you know, pass pretty well, uh, but is not going to break forward on like long runs and, you know, do some of the more dynamic things, but you need holding midfielders. You need those guys on your team. And I understood, you know, sort of if you're shutting down the game, like why you would bring him in. Uh, but yeah, you know, from standpoints beyond that, like, you know, I think you would want to use someone like Noel Buck and you would want to use maybe Ian Harks even over him, unless you had a very, you know, like the away leg in Costa Rica, that might be a game for Mark Anthony K because you're going to want to just kind of sit tight and, you know, keep things in front of your defense, you know, looking clean and Mark Anthony K helps you do that. Yeah, I think you you put it nicely. And it, you know, I, if you've listened to this podcast a lot, you know I'm not a big Mark Anthony K fan. I think he's been a liability for the Revolution at times. Whether it was a, a red card that basically killed their playoffs last year, or uh, some of his turnovers, and including against you know Independiente in the in the first leg, where he was lucky that the Revs didn't get punished for for one of his turnovers. So I, I'm not a huge Mark Anthony K fan. I wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been my first sub off the bench in this game. That does surprise me a little bit. Uh, you know, as, as to why he's playing so much. I think part of it is they've invested a lot of money into him. He's one of the higher paid guys on this team, seven hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. You know, he's, he's higher paid than any other central midfielder on this team. Uh, you know, long term, that doesn't it doesn't mean you're going to be guaranteed to start or guaranteed a lot of minutes. But I do think there's probably a longer leash on trying to get value out of him and, and making him work. Um, for me, he'd be you know, like like Hayden said, you know, he's distinctive of, of those the four options there you know, or five options to Tommy McNamara he's most distinctive in how he plays um most defined as more of a you know holding midfielder but you know if I was to kind of rank Ian Harks Noel Buck Matt Polster and Mark Anthony Kay he'd be fourth on my list uh so you know again barring situations like you said where you know maybe you have a lead now and you want to put him on although I still don't know that I trust him with some of his turnovers so yeah I you know it's a I think a lot of it is they've invested a lot of money into him and they want to see him come good. And if you look at the player that he was for LAFC now, you know, four plus years ago or whenever it was, he was a very good player. I just don't know that we've seen that guy over the last few years. And I don't know that we're going to see him again. So, you know, knock on wood, hopefully, hopefully he comes good, but he's gotten a lot of chances and I haven't been particularly impressed. Uh, last two questions, not about this game in particular. Big John on Twitter wants to know, when will the Revolution get their first win? I'm going to assume that means MLS win because they won the Champions Cup. But when when do you think the first win comes? 
Uh, probably not in Atlanta. Um, no. <laughs> you know, like that's uh, you know that it feels like a tall task if you're really gonna you know put everything into it. You know, I I guess if you're being just really uh, a realist, a, the true realist about this, you'd say maybe March 23rd against Chicago because they're probably not going to beat Cincinnati either. But, um, you know, I, I would say they have a chance to win any of those games though, because they have talented players. And so they could get results like that. You know, that feels like a thing they could do. And if they put that, you know, kind of marry the, like the defensive solidity that I know Caleb Porter wants or any coach for that matter, I guess, with their capabilities on offense, they could definitely get a result away against at least Atlanta, Cincinnati. Eh, I don't know, but like, you know, we'll, we'll, um, I would say if you're really looking for a baseline, then yeah, if they haven't gotten a win by Chicago, then that's gotta be it. I, 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 I'm with you. I think Chicago's, you know, (laughs) most realistic. I think Chicago is when they get their first win and, you know, in part because Cincinnati is a very difficult team going to Atlanta, you know, they're not as good of a team as they were a few years ago, but they're still a very good team. That's a very difficult place to play. Yeah. But the you know, the true problem is the fixture congestion. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're playing a game Wednesday and then they're going to Atlanta Saturday and then they're again on the road in Costa Rica Thursday and then they're back against Cincinnati, I think that's Saturday or Sunday, whatever it is. Either way, it's not a lot of rest. So uh, it's it's a very difficult schedule. Um you know, I, I'm not sure what the schedule is beyond that round. I don't know if they instantly go back to playing another midweek game after that if they advance. Um, I'm not convinced they do advance, to be honest. I think Alajuelense is going to be a very difficult opponent. It would not surprise me at all if they got knocked out. But I, I think I think it's probably that Chicago game, which and I think you're going to have a lot of angry fans before then if that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and that's really why, you know, these first two games not getting anything out of those is really, really kind of stings because even though, you know, it's early season and you want to stress patience. Like, yeah, you look down your schedule a little bit and before you know it, you have like game after game or, you know, consecutive games at least that are going to be real tough to get a win. You could maybe get a result, but getting a win feels like kind of a long shot because as you said, Atlanta, not what they were, but still playing in front of whatever, you know, 50,000 or whatever they're, you know, getting in there that day. Uh, that's uh that's a difficult environment. Yeah. And the, the, if you're looking really long term, the the good news on the horizon for the Rebs is there is a two week break after that Chicago game. Where I think it's an international window, so you know, if things are things are south, then at least there's a chance to regroup and get healthy and get some rest. Uh, last question: James Downing on Twitter says, "What are your thoughts on the U.S. Open Cup snub?" I mean, I I'm a I love the U.S. Open Cup just as like a as a thing, and I think like you know, obviously the League's Cup is maybe not purely a creation of Apple, but there's a lot in there that's like, that's, you know, Apple coded or whatever, as you might say. And so it's like, you know, yeah, I think that it's really a shame that MLS clubs or MLS is, you know, partly, or at some point, maybe even fully kind of just turning their back on one of the, you know, the historic things in us soccer that has continuity that goes back for so long and is, you know, just like a thing that's just an open, it literally, you know, just like an, an open competition where, you know, it's one of those few things with, with when you don't have promotion relegation, which is a whole other can of worms, but when you don't have that, you know, you have to have something where these clubs come together and actually play each other and compete against each other. And that was this, and now it's not. And that, that does make me sad. Yeah, I, I'm, 
very disappointed about it. I you know I don't know how much the revs were involved in that decision as opposed to the league, um, but I think as the league, it's very disappointing that they're not taking this competition more seriously anymore, and only eight teams are going in, and they didn't want any of them to go in. Um, you know, from a New England perspective too, it's such a you know competition steeped in history and. You know, way back early on when Fall River teams dominated in this competition and, you know, New New Bedford teams did well in this competition and won it and or teams from Rhode Island that won it. It was, you know, this was the hotbed for soccer. And um, you know, this was also the first real trophy that the Revolution won in 2007. So there's a, a lot of history there in New England and there's a lot of history overall with this tournament, uh, oldest cup competition in the U.S. It's just disappointing to see you know, kind of fall this way because of MLS. And I get that, not the biggest money maker, but for me, it was always very exciting to see the Revolution participate in this, play teams that you wouldn't otherwise see. Um, I, I used to like it when the Revs would play these games outside of Gillette Stadium, you know, whether it was in you know Western Mass at Lo- and uh, Ludlow, whether it was against, whether it was in New Britain, whether it was at Harvard, whether it was... Harvard, you know, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Played at Brown one year. I, you know, it was, I like the Harvard ones in particular. I also like the Western Mass ones. It was nice to get to see those other venues and, and go to those games. And I also remember going to New Britain when there was like a thunderstorm and being in this like tin press box. Where it's not the safest place to be. But um, I, I have good memories of all those times. I even have memories of you know going to see them when they played the mid-Michigan Bucks and beat them 7-1 to one a year after they lost to them at Foxborough Stadium. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very disappointed. I, I get financially why the league doesn't see it as a profit maker. But you know, from a history of the game standpoint, and from I, I, I don't know, just it's just disappointing to me that you know, we don't have that anymore. And and you know, every other country has something. All the all the big soccer nations have something like this, where you know, the bottom tier team can can upset the the giants. So it's 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 frustrating, disappointing that we're not going to see the revolution in that this year. And I, I hope I hope that they find a way that next year all the teams participate in it. But I very much doubt that happens. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not holding my breath, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it really would be great. And, you know, even in other countries, you know, it's like you look at like England, like they don't really, the top teams don't necessarily take a lot of those cups very seriously, but they're still in them, you know? And so it's like, could they not just work this out somehow? But yeah, the, uh, uh, the I don't know. I, w- I won't blame Apple in a conspiracy way for this, but yeah, just MLS, just not there right now. And that's, that's sad. Well, before we close this out, uh, any final thoughts and where can people, or, or rather, what should people look for on your writing on boston.com and in the Globe? I know you have your reactions up there now. Uh, anything else people should be on the lookout for? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, well, there's, I mean, there's a bunch of non-rev stuff that's always like, you know, in the fire there. We have a sort of like March Madness theme bracket thing coming up about uh, greatest uniforms in Boston sports history that readers can vote on and the revs are represented in that. So when that launches on March 17th, you can find that on boss.com. But um, yeah, I mean, just looking ahead to the midweek, I mean, I really do, even though it's a fixture congestion, I really enjoy these continental games that the revs are in because it's such a, you know, fascinating journey for them in a way, you know, watching them play down in Panama and then watching the Panamanians come back and play here, even though that was probably terrible for them, <laughs> their perspective. Like, you know, th- these are things that we were just talking about the U S open cup that make soccer cool and fun. And, um, you know, these tournaments also are part of that, especially as they involve CONCACAF, which, as we all know, is this, you know, just synonymous with just kind of shenanigans. And so I can't wait to see how that, you know, manifests when they play, you know, a team in Costa Rica and then uh, also with the first like here as well. So uh, I'm very interested in that. And I am uh, definitely going to be writing about that. Uh, and then also, yeah, I mean, if they continue to just be winless in MLS at some point, we're going to have to talk about that, too. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for Alajuanse to actually have to go to Gillette Stadium because the Revolution have played them three times, and they've every single time until now, they've played their home leg not at home. So <laughs> it's nice to actually make them come up here for once and uh, see how that goes instead of playing two games in Costa Rica or playing a game in Costa Rica in Bermuda. Uh, and, of course, people should make sure they follow you on Twitter or X if you're one of the people that calls it that. Uh, Hayden H. Bird, <laughs> you find him there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Threads, Blue Sky, just about everywhere. Sometimes more active than others. Uh, you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Also, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out our friends at the Blazing Muskets. Thanks again for listening to Revolution Recap presented by Bet Online. We'll be back after, I believe, we'll be back after Wednesday's game. Don't quote me on that uh, with another podcast. <laughs>